Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... All right. This is the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode five. I have Mr. Patrick Lawless. Sir, will you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I feel excited I'm in the top 10, so that's that's, <laughs> that's a big right. deal. It's a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, my name is Pat Lawless. Some people call me Patrick. I don't know. I sign my emails, Patrick. Maybe that makes me seem more important. But yeah, I'm the president of Kinetrix. We're a um, technology management company agency um, here in Southern California. We had our 20th anniversary last year, so we're coming on our 21st anniversary. Excellent. It's been, yeah, it's been exciting. So, yeah. That's, that's awesome. what we do. I'm always curious to know um, how partners come up with the names of their companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a story about that, Zach. Um, I'd love to hear it. I was actually talking to my wife about this last night because when I started my company, I thought maybe I'll name it after my kids. So I named it ZJS, Zach, uh, Sean and Josh, Lawless. But then I thought people won't know what that means. So I hired a friend of mine to come up with a fancy name. Okay. And dude, this guy charged me like $5,000 just to come up with the name <laughs> Kinetrix. And most people didn't even know how to pronounce it. So I was like, oh, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, once we started printing our business cards and set up our website, I figured, why change it now? So it's mm -hmm. called Kinetrix. Nice. So yeah. So, that's so how, many, how many names did this uh, agency come up with before you landed on Yeah. That? It was a lot, actually. Some kind of interesting names that I was like, wow, that's, that doesn't even sound technical. Hmm. So I think the idea behind Kinetrix was, okay, we're in the connectivity business, but mm -hmm. our business has changed so much that that's one small part of what we do, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about. Sure. So when you started Kinetrix 20, almost 21 years ago, mm -hmm. um, what were you doing like that propelled you into this industry? Like, like what were yeah. you doing before and what led you into you yeah. Know, the yeah. channel? Good question. Some people say, you know, I was inspired and, you know, I wanted to start my own business. Mine was more out of necessity. I didn't have a job. So I thought I'll hire myself and, you know, I can't fire myself. So we get fired by customers, which we don't want to have happen, but it has happened. And uh, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I didn't have a job. I had been in the telecom space for, you know, 11 years. I worked mm -hmm. with Sprint from July okay. 10th, 1989 until sometime in 2000. Hmm. And what was cool about that was I was just a sales guy, you know, rep just carrying a bag around. I had a territory. That's the way telecom companies worked in those days. And Zach, we sold this thing called long distance. You've probably never heard of it before, but when you would call 
people long distance you'd have to pay by the minute anyway so sprint was a long distance company after a few years of somehow keeping my job i i got asked to join the partners program that's what sprint called it and we looked for companies individual people like me who wanted to represent the sprint brand and so we started our our company and that's how we kind of that's how the master agency model you know kind of started in the 90s like with rick deller and the guys at intellisys and alan sandler and uh, those guys kind of started in that time frame mid 90s and rick was rick was he was a visionary because he really felt like the industry had potential to really grow and we didn't have you know the kind of companies we have now brands etc it was really just um, at&t sprint mci and mm-hmm. some other resellers of long distance hmm. yeah it was before the internet it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i became a channel manager so i understand what that's like so we work with channel managers every day and Mm-hmm. I did that for eight years and that's how I met so many people in the channel. And that made me think, wow, um, maybe I should just become an agent. Mm-hmm. And because we were writing some pretty big checks to our agents, honestly, mm-hmm. in Sprint, you know, it was a national brand. And, you know, the one thing I thought that was cool about this business and the idea about being an independent, you know, sales a organization or agency was the fact that we would get paid or compensated for producing, for selling something, right? Right. When you're a direct sales rep, you can get paid for a long time and not sell anything. And that's not really a winning proposition for, you know, organizations. But we continue to get paid for everything we sold. We we've sold customers over 10 years ago that we're still getting compensated for. So right. I thought over time, this could potentially add up to something pretty big. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I thought about all the deals I'd sold in the past with Sprint, I wasn't getting paid on those. It was a one-time transaction. So sure. I like the idea of that residual business model. So makes sense. Yeah. So what was your initial, um, I guess, go-to-market strategy as a as a new agent and you know i mean at the time i can't imagine there was a very big you know the channel was very big but like Mm -hmm. how did you how what was your plan on being like competitive in the space in the in the channels right right i thought that this business was about developing long-term trusted relationships because i wanted to engage clients and then keep them for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And I had to maintain a trusted relationship, meaning, you know, I, I do what I said I would do. Um, and it's still the same model. You know, it's still the same thing. We, we want to build long-term trusted relationships with our customers, our clients, our points of contact, the technology decision makers, whether it's a CFO or CEO or, or IT director, or even, you know, um, somebody who's like a administrator in the business. So we try to maintain positive relationships, obviously, 
with every person in our organization that we interface with. So mm-hmm. I, I still believe, you know, that was kind of my thinking when I started and it's still the same mentality. You know, we, we really do strive to be honest with our customers. You know, there's no reason for us to lie or make anything up because that doesn't accomplish anything positive. Even right. if, even if, you know, yeah, that's a short term thinking person. So we don't do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really been cool to see how that's, that has paid off. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so when you did start Connectrix, what were, um, like, did you have a set of providers that you sort of went mm-hmm. to market with or, mm-hmm. um, like what was that process like when you're just starting out and you have to, right. you know, make all these relationships or did you already have a lot of those relationships already, you know, from your days at Sprint? That's a good question. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say, I didn't know what I was doing, Zach. I mean, <laughs> I really did not. So, okay. so everything that could go wrong as a business owner has gone wrong. Anybody mm-hmm. who's been a business owner knows that. I mean, it's just yep. stuff happens. You wish it didn't happen, but you know, it did. You, you learn from those experiences and hopefully you don't make the same mistakes again. And I think the best teacher in life, honestly, and in business is pain. Because mm. when you're suffering, you realize, dang, I don't want to do that again. Mm. So, you know, I mm. try not to. Um, yeah. We were kind of in between wanting to become a master agent, which now mm. is called a technology distributor. And I was thinking, because I, I knew Rick at Intellisys, he was doing an awesome job. He had already established his, I mean, it was... It was only 2000 and he would already establish himself as probably the premier, you know, master agency. We used to call him in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, so he already had a, you know, he already had a um, portfolio of service providers. But sometimes I would interact with a customer and they had a they had a need that I couldn't fulfill with my relationship with Intellisys or some of the other smaller relationships I developed with other uh, technology distributors. So my customer had a need, I had to go find it. So I would research and find and ask around and talk to as many people as possible and try to find a company that could provide this service at a high level. Mm -hmm. And then we would sign up directly with them. So we Mm -hmm. still have a handful of direct relationships with service providers only because they were not available in the TSD world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And any of the portfolios I went out to look for, I couldn't find one. So Mm -hmm. that's why we engaged directly with the service provider, signed contracts with them. We have legal people that are smart and know how to establish a good, you know, terms of contract. I would Mm -hmm. say that the technology distributor model though, we totally believe in because it protects us legally. Right. And I have a story about that if you want me to share it later. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, like I said, we were kind of in between a small mini, you know, master agency where we had direct relationships with providers. But like I said, that was only in the case where we couldn't find the right fit for our customer. Sure. But primarily we would work under the the technology distributor model. Right. Um, right. So 
one of the reasons I really decided, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to sign one-off contracts anymore with service providers because I don't have the kind of leverage they do. I don't have the money behind me to, to fight, you know, these, these potential lawsuits with, with companies that don't want to pay us anymore. Mm -hmm. What happens is sometimes a direct sales mentality or organization that's previously been a direct sales organization, when they get into the channel, they don't really understand the way that independent agencies like us think. Sure. So they think we work for them, but we don't. I signed an agreement with a company that fulfilled a requirement for for one of the largest mortgage companies in the country at the time. It was in the mid-90s called AmeriQuest Mortgage Company. Mm-hmm. That company was huge and growing. They were opening up offices literally every day. They needed fiber into every one of those addresses. Most mm-hmm. of those addresses were covered by a company called Time Warner Telecom. Okay. okay. It's not Time Warner Cable. Mm-hmm. Time Warner Telecom. They were a CLEC at the time. So they would bypass the local phone company. They would build fiber into big buildings. When a tenant would move into that building, they would sell them voice and data, mm-hmm. internet connectivity. They were the perfect fit. It matched the footprint of the customer. I signed a contract with Time Warner Telecom. Mm-hmm. And it was so, such a small, little, tiny, little commission. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, literally like less than, way less than half of what, a normal contract would be, but I signed it because they were my only option. Right. We built up a network with AmeriQuest Mortgage Company of like $350,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue. Wow. We were getting paid, I don't know, $15,000 a month, something like that. And I thought, this business is so easy. I'd only been doing this for a couple of years, man. I thought, <laughs> I'm going to be rich. This is awesome. Right. So... But then one day, the decision maker goes to my supplier, Time Warner Telecom, and says, I want to get paid Pat's commission. I was like, okay. So so literally, the executives of the company brought me into some meeting here in Southern California, and they said, hey, Pat. We have good news and bad news. The good news is AmeriQuest Mortgage Company is really growing, but the bad news is we can't pay you anymore. I was like, why not? They said, well, because we have to pay the customer, the decision maker wants to get paid. I was like, really? (laughs) I go, okay, we'll pay him if you want. I wouldn't do that if I were you, but that's this is your money. You can do what you want. But whatever you do, you still have to pay me. We have a contract. Right. And I was used to reading these contracts because I was a channel manager at Sprint. I was like, you guys, even if I die, you have to pay my company. Right. So I wouldn't recommend stop paying me because if you do, then we're going to have to sue you and you'll lose and we'll win and you'll have to write me a big check. So why waste your time? Right. They didn't take my advice. They stopped paying me. It took me four and a half years, bro, to get some of my money back. Wow. We had to negotiate for a long time. I hired a lawyer, man. It was rough because I'm writing checks to my lawyer and not getting paid by Time Warner. And dude, it was it was a miracle I didn't I I, I stayed in the business. 
So that's when I thought the technology service distributor model made more sense. So, Hmm. yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. (laughs) It was, it was nuts. Yeah. So, you know, God worked it out because even though it was a struggle for four and a half years, you never want to get into a lawsuit with a company. It's a $10 billion company. All they did was just try to bleed me dry. So yeah, that makes sense. So time Warner telecom, is that now time Warner cable then? No time Warner telecom. Yes. Time Warner telecom was a CLEC. They built a lot of fiber into big buildings, dresses all over the country. Hmm. They got bought by level three, I think. Yeah, I think they got bought by level three. Level three got got bought. Oh, so um, and now even, they got bought the by CenturyLink. CenturyLink, you know, is now called Lumen, got which it. is another, I think, kind of funny story. It's like <laughs> I don't know why you're changing your name. We know who you are. It's okay, right. <laughs> you know. So that was kind yeah. of funny. Well, it's crazy just the amount of M and A that happens. I mean, do you think that there's more of that happening now or like, or in your 21 years mm-hmm. in the channel, has there ever been a time where there has been this much M and a, you know, cause mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of, you know, uh, private equity money rolling around know, right yeah. now and stuff like that. So like, has there ever been a time, uh, similar to now right. that you've noticed or good question. I personally do not like it when I find out that a company that we are doing business with is getting bought. Sure. I'll give you an example. Contingent Network Services. Mm-hmm. We had a direct deal with them because they fulfilled a, a, a requirement my customer had. Multi-location, mm-hmm. like retail locations, you have several hundred retail locations. Con- Contingent Network Services was so good. Mm-hmm. They did such a great job. We had some several very big accounts with them. Mm-hmm. They got bought by Comcast. Comcast is a cable company. They're a good cable company. They got mm-hmm. great people. One of my ex-bosses at Sprint is works there, and they're a good company. But they didn't understand managed services, and and the service level dropped considerably, and we lost a lot of big customers. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually like when I hear a company is being purchased, but it does happen. That's just the way it is. Um, the private equity money that's come into our industry, you know, is giving people like me who own a small agency to get purchased or maybe even consolidate with other agencies and get bought by a bigger private equity company. So those are kind of, so it's good and bad, you know, um, they want to get a return for their investors. So obviously that's why I think, you know, they're they're looking at this recurring business model and thinking, wow, this has a lot of, you know, potential. So mm-hmm. there is there is a lot of MA activity happening in our industry. I generally do not like it, but it is the reality. So when when that does happen, we try to maintain as positive relationships as possible with the people within the organization. Mm-hmm. Because those are the people that are actually delivering the service to my customer. Right. So that's kind of how we try to navigate through that whole, you know, M&A acquisition yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Has it ever has it ever been like this 
active before or has it, I mean, has there ever been a time like this that you remember? No, because I think there's more money and activity Mm. in our industry Mm. because of the recurring business model that we are a part of. It has so much value for private equity because you can get a really good return for your investors. So I think there's more than there's ever been. Um, but again, there's, there's always going to be new service providers that come up out of nowhere and they do a good job. So, so, um, we worked with service providers that are really big and our experience has been, we don't get the same level of services with some of the smaller providers. That's just Hmm. been our experience. It could be opposite of somebody else, but that's, that's been our experience. Hmm. So the acquisition stuff sometimes isn't Hmm. always great, but. I do get it. So um, you said you're a relatively small agency. So like how many employees do you currently have? We just have three. Three. Okay. That is My wife mean. made me hire her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't nice. want somebody else hiring her. She's very talented. She, she pays all of our contractors, you know, so we have independent, you know, we have referral partners that refer mm-hmm. as business and that's kind of how we built our company. Nice. So it's, it's a model that's worked for us over the years. And so we'd rather pay someone to refer us into an account and make right. less money because getting, gaining that, that end user trust takes time. So mm-hmm. it, um, uh, shortens that time frame as a sales process. And then my son works for me. He started two years ago. I thought I was doing him a favor, honestly, because <laughs> he got out of college and started some sales job door to door. I mean, it was rough because yeah. that was during COVID. He's wearing a mask. Right. And so you can't really talk to people, but he's knocking on doors and he was selling office supplies, paper and ink. I was like, dude, that's not a sales job. <laughs> I had, I did that when I was a kid selling rooms door to door. Right. And you have to wear a mask. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. That's, I go, why are you come to work for me? Cause he was doing well. Right. But he hated it. Mm. I go, why don't you come to work for me and then see how you like our industry. If you like it, it'll introduce you to other suppliers and maybe they'll hire you. Sure. He's been offered jobs in our industry by many, many of our vendors. Wow. Because he's super talented. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I thought I was doing him a favor, but turns out he's <laughs> he's doing me a huge favor because that's great. It we make a good team because I really love, you know, the the sales process. I love hunting out new deals. Though that excites me. New opportunities mm-hmm. I get excited about. How can I solve sure. this customer's problem? Let's bring in these Tier, top tier providers and let's let's uh get a win for these guys right that's fun for me he manages our customer base mm-hmm. and if you don't have somebody managing your customer base they're just going to go away right that's you true. have to pay attention to them yeah he's really good at that and so that's great yeah i'm blessed to have that's great yeah you got to stay current with me. your customers for sure otherwise yeah they they you know and that's got to be tough too because you know, as a, as a technology advisor, you're obviously in the middle of, you know, the customer and the supplier. So you have to, 
I, I would imagine you'd have to maintain sort of your your value to that customer, you know. So like how how have you found success in doing that? Like maintaining that that value to your customer? I know it. Yeah. It's such a good question because you constantly have to demonstrate value to your customers. Mm-hmm. And then also tell them what you did <laughs> because sometimes they forget. Sure. I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but constantly looking for opportunities to demonstrate value. And I'll mm-hmm. give you some examples. You know, shit happens in this business. Things go wrong. Right. Customers aren't happy. Mm-hmm. They threaten your vendor. They threaten you or you're going to be fired. If this problem doesn't get solved. Mm-hmm. When you step in and own that stuff, okay, I recommended this company. If they're not performing, I got to make them perform somehow. I got to right. somehow fill in that gap. When you get your hands dirty and get into the problem and really start to listen and understand technically what's happening, what's going wrong, you have to ask good questions. You could be talking to some very smart engineers, but there could be a common sense reason why there's a problem technically, why this isn't working. Mm. When you dive into that, man, you learn a lot. Um, It's a painful process, but you can add value because the customer realizes, wow, you know, Pat and Kinetrix is really advocating for me. We had this problem. The service provider didn't care. The problem wasn't getting solved. He got involved and uh, the problem got solved. So that's one way of demonstrating value. So I think you kind of have to just continually do that. Hmm. Do you think that, do you ever, I don't know anymore since you've been doing this for so long, but like when you're introducing yourself to a new customer or a potential customer rather, Mm -hmm. um, do you still find it difficult to explain exactly what it is that you do as a technology (laughs) advisor or like, is that getting easier over time (laughs) Yeah, you know, you think it would be easier. <laughs> but I think it is something that you have to get really good at, like mm-hmm. elevator pitch. What do sure. you do? <laughs> You're a technology advisor. What is that? Right. So we try to keep it simple, but we try to do it in such a way where it does demonstrate some value. You know, mm-hmm. we call ourselves a technology management company or technology advisor. We represent mm-hmm. over 300 brand name technology companies that mm-hmm. are best in class. Mm-hmm. We sell technology to make money. So I say right. that up front because people want to know, how's this guy making money? Right. Is there a secret happening behind the scenes? No, we're, <laughs> we're totally up front. We have nothing to hide. Our, our, the way that we get paid actually adds value to our relationship with the customer because we want a long-term successful relationship. We want the supplier to perform. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to recommend companies that can do that mm-hmm. because if they do, we get to keep, we have a happy customer for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we tell our customers up front who we are. We represent technology providers. We sell their stuff. Mm-hmm. That's how we get paid. But there's value in that for you as a customer. And here's why. And then we tell them we, we help fast forward the process of doing discovery mm. on a category of technology. 
that maybe you haven't done discovery before. We do this all the time. We do it every day. Typically, people that do things every day are way better people that do it once in a while. Sure. And you have to overcome very smart people's mentality because you're dealing with smart guys and smart girls. They're not stupid people. Right. So they feel confident, hey, I can do discovery on contact center as a service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably could. How long is it going to take you? And do you really want to spend your time doing that when you're trying to keep the lights on? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, this is what we do. We could fast forward that process. And we have so many, you know, tools to help our customers really make informed decisions. Right. We can do competitive matrix on any types, you know, the top three service providers. If you want to only talk to companies that are in the Gardner Magic Quadrant, we'll evaluate those and help you walk through those. And then, you know, we've been in the business for 34 years. We've been doing this for 21. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of positive and negative experiences with a lot of these providers, Mm -hmm. more so than I would say our customers, because their scope of experience is limited to what they've experienced in their career and their com- company. Yeah. Whereas or even, we, or even regionally, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, so that's where I think there's value and that's kind of how we <clears throat> describe what we do, but you have to continually resell what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. So inviting our customers to advance from the technology distributors, give us the opportunity to do that. I always try to do that because when you think about our customers are being introduced to all these technology suppliers, we have relationships with them. Then they start realizing, wow, this is a lot bigger business than I thought, you know, so I don't need to go somewhere else. Pat has all these tools in his toolbox. So, Mm -hmm. I can go to him. That's what kind of we want to do. So what are your thoughts? I think this is an interesting conversation. I feel like, you know, I met with you at Channel Partners, which was a lot of fun, but I, uh, it was my first one there. And what I noticed was a lot of the, you know, suppliers, a lot of the uh, technology advisors, everybody seems very willing. And it seems like there's an appetite to collaborate and just, mm-hmm. you know, share best mm-hmm. practices and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So for you, you know, especially given that you're in California where it's, it's such a huge market, do you feel like other technology suppliers are competitors or do you feel that you just share the space? I mean, what's your, mm-hmm. what's your, what's your thought on that? Yeah. Are you talking about it from the perspective of the suppliers or from the perspective of the um, you know, technology advisors like us. From the technology advisor perspective, yeah. Right. I I remember going to an event that Intellis has put on. Mm-hmm. It was called Channel Connect, and it was up in Monterey. And I had built a lot of business outside the technology distributor model. Mm-hmm with contracts that I had done directly with my suppliers. And there was some, so many great people who built way bigger businesses than me. Some were were similar to my business in in that it was 
one guy or one girl, he or she started the company and they just do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Some were way bigger than that. And they were getting all these awards, man. I was like, that's so cool. (laughs) I was excited for them because I I realized when they said, oh, they built their base to $5 million. I knew what that meant in terms of that's a lot of money. So I was happy for them, you know, and I thought. My wife asked me, hey, man, how come you're not getting an award? I go, well, honey, we have a lot of business with, you know, our suppliers directly. Right. But I'm happy for these people, man. This is the business we're in. We should be championing success in our business. I want, Mm -hmm. you know, more people to be successful. I want the channel to prosper altogether. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um but it did motivate me too, thinking, wow, I could continue to grow my business and set goals. And, and so thankfully, you know, we've grown every year since we started and we've made more money than I ever thought possible, That's but great. it's all because of this industry. So I don't, when I collaborate and I'm friends with a lot of guys in our business, a lot of girls mm-hmm. in our business, we exchange ideas just because, Hey, most of us want each other to be successful. Mm-hmm. If somebody's doing something that's top secret that we don't know about, I get that. They want to keep that, sure. you know, um, <laughs> private. That's fine. But for the most part, all the people that I interact with um, share ideas because I don't know. We we care about one another. We're mm-hmm. friends. We want people to be successful. So right. And do you find that that's that's always been the case in the channel or just more recently where people, you know, other um, trusted advisor companies are more willing to collaborate. We've competed directly against other advisors in the past. Mm-hmm. Most of the time we're not, but sometimes we are. And I would say more and more we are. Right. Um, people are, you know, companies are purchasing technology services through the channel I would mm-hmm. say even more so than the direct side. Um, sure. But there's so much business and opportunity. Since I started in this business in 2002, when we started our company till now, I, I would say that just about all the agencies that I know and work with, they're such great people. And no, I don't see any animosity. If there is, I, I just, I'm not a part of it. Just because, I don't want that negativity to, to affect, you know, my thinking. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. I yeah. like that. And like I said, I, I did notice a ton of, uh, you know, just, it seems like there's a, a genuine, you know, appetite for collaborating, which I think is really cool, which is nice for me since I'm new to the channel. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, We've had other agents help us with deals too. That's Wow. You know, because they had an expertise in an, in an industry, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, we'll pay them something. You know, we mm-hmm. and uh, they've helped us. That's great. Yeah, yeah, hmm. it's been cool. So, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, I think I asked you about this, but it was um, I got to hear the story about Lyndon Brown and Qdoba. So basically the time where you, you know, were about to lose an opportunity oh, or a right. deal and you found a way to get it across the goal line. Yeah. First of all, Lyndon Brown, I love this guy so much. He's 
was a customer, has been a customer of mine in the past at multiple companies. You know, he's moved around just like most people. Mm-hmm. So we started doing business together. I, I met him, uh, maybe six years ago. It's been, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's a great man. And he has blessed my company so much because, I mean, he he changed companies. He made a change to Qdoba restaurants and invited me down to talk to him about, oh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. He told me about the problem. I was like, I'm going to help you solve this problem. Um, he was like, I've already talked to these companies. So if you have another competitor, great. And uh, I said, cool. I went home excited about the opportunity. Then I went on a week-long trip, okay? Mm-hmm. It was a kid's camp. <laughs> and it was awesome. And I loved it, just serving there. And uh, when I got back, he had already uh, – um, I don't think he signed a deal with a competitor – but when I got back to him, he's like, yeah, Pat, it's too late, man. You <laughs> dropped the ball. You missed the boat. Deal mm-hmm. with it. I was like, well, that sucks. I said, because I have a really good supplier for you. I think it would do a better job. Who did you right. go with? He's like, oh, I went to this company, local. They got infrastructure and switching data. They'll be fine. I was like, well, I have a better one. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's too late. We've already decided. Mm-hmm. I was like, just, just let me introduce you to these guys, give them 10 minutes. If you don't like them, that's okay. We won't waste a lot of your time. He's like, yeah, no, sorry. I was like, okay. So then I talked to my wife later on and she's like, why are you so sad? You got a long face. I was like, man, I missed out on this deal. Shoot. She goes, Pat, why are you giving up? I go, He's already decided on this other company. She said, had they signed with him? I go, no. She goes, then it's not over. So why mm-hmm. don't you call him back and tell him? You know him. Mm-hmm. So don't cry about it. Just get back in the fight. Mm-hmm. So I'm a competitor. I want to win. Anybody's in sales knows that. Right. You, know? you can't be in sales and not be a competitor. Right. So I sent him a text message. I was like, hey, can you talk on Tuesday? He's like, sure. So we were going to meet in his office. I was going to bring in my supplier and we were going to just go, you know, balls to the walls and try to close his deal. The night before he said, yeah, I can't meet. I was like, why not? Jeez. He goes, it's too late. <laughs> I go, you did say you'd meet with us. So, and I know that you're man of your words. So yep. why don't you just meet us? What do you have to lose? Let's just say we don't even talk about technology. We just talk about life, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just give me 15 minutes. Right. He's like, okay. So he wanted out of the appointment. He was busy. He's got other, other stuff to do. I get it. And he was just new to the business. He wanted to come in and make an impact and make mm-hmm. a positive change and add value because that's what he's trying to do with his boss, right? Mm-hmm. My supplier and I went in there and he loved, loved the guy that I worked with. <laughs> they had special needed kids. They, their kids had the same experiences and the same, I mean, they connected so quickly. I was like, wow, wow that's, that's cool. That is so cool. 
Then we saved him a bunch of money on his infrastructure. He's like, wow, if you can do that, then we can do business. <laughs> He's like, I'll get you the agreement when I get back to my office. And so oh my gosh. Yeah, we won that deal and it made me realize and it's still they're still a customer of ours, even though Lyndon's gone. Hmm. It made me realize, you know, a deal may be a deal's never really lost. Okay. You may lose the first time, but the contract may be. Let's say you lost a deal, you you worked on it, you lost. Mm-hmm. The deal's two, three years. In three years, a lot of things could happen. Oh, yeah. So we try to stay in contact with those lost deals because, I don't know, something could go wrong, you know? Yeah. That supplier could get bought by somebody else, and now they're having a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So a deal's never really lost. It's only for a short period of time if you just mm-hmm. keep if you keep pursuing it so that's yeah. been kind of my attitude yeah. you should never give up that's true that's a cool story but it's also like yeah i mean it's not over ever really i mean and especially no. as we talk about staying in in uh, contact and right you, know, you 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 built that rapport you went all you went through all the trouble of developing exactly. that relationship so you know why not just you know, maintain genuinely, well, yeah. And, and just maintain genuinely, the, right. Yeah. Care about them. Right. Cause exactly about their people, lives. Yeah. And people love that, you know, um, I totally so cool. agree with that. I think that in the business world in general, it gets mm-hmm. to be so transactional and so right. impersonal. I hate mm-hmm. that. Right. I really like talking about people's lives cause I'm genuinely interested in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. If they sense that, I think there's, there's, there's value there, man. Mm-hmm. Because you may have lost this deal, but hey, you build a friendship with him, you know, some kind of relationship, some kind of positive relationship. You know, they buy other services. Mm-hmm. Some companies have 20, 30 vendors, even right. more. So I agree with you. And I think you really do need to care about the individual people you're working with, not only on the customer side, but the supplier side, because man, everybody's got problems Mm -hmm. and it's important to really know what's going on in their lives. If you can, some people don't like that, but that's what I try to do for sure. Right. Right. So, um, as far as like, you know, we're, we're talking about trends and stuff like that. Um, you know, the big conversation right now, big topic in the TSD world is CX and security. Mm-hmm. Um, are those things that the end users, the customers are asking about too? Is that their big priority as well? Or or like, why has it become such a hot topic on the mm-hmm. TSD and supplier side? Customers bring up security. Almost every customer we talk to, large mm-hmm. or small, whether they're willing to pay for it, but you have to figure out the reality of where they are today, right. you know, from a security posture. And then what's their, what's the business success to acceptable level of risk they're willing mm-hmm. to take? Because they can't buy every tool there is. So mm-hmm. customers talk about security, large and small, because there's constant threats, there's constant bad actors, and that's just continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Bad guys are trying to steal our customers' stuff, their data, their money. It's not good. 
So mm-hmm. yes, it comes up. You know, it's hard to be a business owner, man. Um, so luckily, thankfully, we have a lot of tools to help them security wise. Mm-hmm. CCAS comes up too. Mm-hmm. I think it comes up more than it used to. Mm-hmm. People really didn't. Five years ago, I would say people didn't even know what it was. <laughs> right. You know, they knew what contact center software was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Via, right. Nice was on premise, and yeah, mm-hmm. we got a hundred agents here, and and they connected the software, and the software kind of runs on top of the phone system, and we right. record all the calls and. Uh, we do workforce management mm-hmm. using like company like Barrent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Contact centers as a service comes up because customers want to improve their relationships with their customers. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to do that. So if it doesn't come up in a conversation, we we try to ask it always. Mm-hmm. How's your experience with your customers? Is it good? I don't know. Do you have any metrics on it? Do you do you know if your if your relationship with the customers are improving? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know? Um, <laughs> everybody wants a better relationship with their customers. Whether yeah. they're willing to pay for it in a contact center is another story. Mm-hmm. However, the first contact center as a service deal we did was with a customer who would who was heavily invested in Avaya hardware mm-hmm. and software. Mm-hmm. And there was coming up for a refresh and it was going to be over a million dollars. They had to write a check for mm-hmm. Some companies liked the CapEx model. Some companies liked, you know, the, uh, OpEx. OpEx. Mm-hmm. Right. CCAS is an OpEx model. Right. I think it makes more sense, but I'm not a CFO. Right. In this case, the customer thought, do we really want to write a check for another million dollars? And what happens if something happens with Avaya? I don't know. You know, so I brought up to the customer, hey, you can buy this technology um, as a service. Mm-hmm. It's called contact center as a service. So we brought in a couple of suppliers and it was awesome because I learned a lot and I learned that that. It's super scientific how our customers are increasing their customer level of experience. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I love the product too, because it's so sticky. Once it, once mm-hmm. you integrate it into Salesforce or some other CRM tool, it's very hard to, to forklift out of their environment. Right. Cause think about it. If you're a customer, and you just invested a lot of money in inter- in these integrations with your CRM, or maybe it's a homegrown CRM, but you built these APIs into um, Nice or Five9 or mm-hmm. Genesis or Content Guru or I don't know. There's there's <clears throat> there's so many. Um, Sprinkler is another one. Mm-hmm. So if you build those integrations, it's very difficult to get out right. because then you'd have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. So our contact center customers have, have lasted. Right. Long time. We, um, yeah, we, we noticed something, you know, similar, uh, with desktop 
as a service, for example, mm-hmm. and then generally just cloud migration um, broadly. And mm-hmm. I was one. I always like to ask our partners, you know, do you, as far as cloud goes, I know you, mm-hmm. contact center makes a ton of sense as far as how sticky it is, but like mm-hmm. cloud can be very scary for, mm-hmm. you know, especially like a CISO, C, mm-hmm. you know, CTO, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's been your process like? Like, do you, do you come out and say like, you know, based on the problems that you have or based on these, you know, potential threats that you have security wise, mm-hmm. like, are you suggesting that they migrate totally to the cloud or just hybrid cloud or like, where do you bring that mm-hmm. into the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. It's almost always hybrid, mm. at least at first, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because Companies have investments. They have investments in hardware, and uh, they've got they've got applications or stuff sitting in their office that that is running, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever application that might be. Um, originally, I would say five, six, seven years ago, people were like, "Cloud man, that's scary. We we <laughs> want to hold on to, and IT people want to control their environment." Mm-hmm. So that was not an easy conversation. But we started selling desktop as a service because of a conversation I had with Gary Coven, you know, at your company. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. This guy's an absolute stud. <laughs> he's so smart and he's such a good businessman and he has a vision. He, he understands where the industry is going. So I'm at this event with WTG. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. But they're a technology mm-hmm. distributor. Uh, in Malibu. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince Bradley was the owner of that company. He sold off to AppDirect, mm-hmm. another great company. Anyway, Vince was having an event in the desert. Okay. They had it every year. It was their Christmas holiday experience. Although you can't not, say Christmas. Not Burning uh, Man, right? I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Neither do I. What is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so he called it his holiday event, whatever. I call it Christmas, but it's fine. Anyway, so we went out to the desert and it was at La Quinta Resort. It was awesome. And they had, you know, the panel of smart guys. Mm -hmm. And they were all saying the same thing, except Gary. He sits up there and he, (laughs) he's very direct, if you haven't noticed that. I have. He <laughs> reminds me so much of my dad because he doesn't care what right. people think. Mm-hmm. He cares about the truth. So he gets up there and he goes, you guys have had, you know, successful careers in the telecom industry. And that's great. You sell voice services. That's awesome. You sell internet connectivity. That's great, too. But you realize that only makes up about 20, 25% of a customer's IT spend overall. Mm-hmm. The other 75 to 80% is computing. Mm-hmm. And he said, what I mean by that is desktop computers, the physical machines, all the applications that run on that desktop, all the servers that are serving that desktop, and all the people that are managing all that stuff because mm-hmm. things break all the time. That's where the biggest spend, IT spend, in any organization. 
And you guys are only selling the 20, 25%. Mm. And if you continue to do that, you're going to get your ass kicked by somebody who's out there selling computing. Mm -hmm. So I'm just giving you advice. You can take it for what it is. But if you don't start selling cloud computing, you're going to lose not only what you have, okay, mm. but you won't get any more. And I thought to myself, I totally agree with what he's saying, but I don't know anything about computing. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing. I'm a telecom guy. Mm -hmm. I know like things about channel banks and PRIs and DIDs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Stuff that's kind of boring. <laughs> so um, here's what I did do, though. I took his advice. I went back to all my customers and started asking them, would they entertain a conversation about cloud? Sure. And I got them literally on a phone with some smart guy who knew everything there is to know about cloud computing and sold a bunch of virtual desktops. And I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And then I actually started using it myself, mm -hmm. virtual desktop technology. Yep. Then I realized there's Citrix, there's VM, there's... Um, uh, Azure Virtual Desktop, which mm -hmm. is not great, honestly. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but it's not <laughs> a good product. Anyway, so I learned kind of as I went along, but I really did not know what I was doing or what I was talking about. So I didn't say that much. I would just let the smart guys talk to my customers and they did all the selling for me. I'm like, wow, this, this, cloud computing stuff, I need to really start selling. So I just went back to my customer base and started selling that. And so it opened the door for so many more, so much more revenue per customer, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Mm. And it gave me confidence to talk about computing to new customers, new, you know, and, and you know what was interesting? Some really smart people that have had a career in IT, CIOs, and they didn't understand virtual desktops. Hmm. Um, infrastructure as a service. I mean, people understand that. It's like, well, your right. servers could be here or there. Right. Storage, they understood. But uh, yeah, I was, I thought, wow, this has given me like more confidence um, because I use this stuff every day hmm. and I know that it works. And so that's, that's, that's what's great about uh, having suppliers, partnerships like Evolve, just because your technology can really bless my customers and mm -hmm. prosper them. And I want to see them do that. Mm -hmm. I want to see them grow. I want to keep them secure. And really, as a, as a secondary thought, if you centralize your data in a cloud computing world like Evolve, mm -hmm. you're centralizing your data and keeping it more secure. When, it, when your data spread out all over the place, mm -hmm. it's less secure, obviously. Right. If you got all these people working from home, which after COVID, everybody had to go home. Mm -hmm. If you were on a virtual desktop, you really even haven't left the the physical infrastructure that, that the cloud provider has established. Mm. Do you get my drift? Oh, yeah. Definitely. So there's no data moving across the wire. So I was so happy to be able to help my customers, you know, transition from working from office to home using you know, leveraging that technology. So I love that. I love it that. It was cool. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, we've gone about an hour and it has flown by. And I <laughs> I actually just looked down, I was like, oh my gosh, there's 
a whole hour. Um, and I think that's a great way to end it, but I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to get one more piece of perspective, um, or some advice, so to speak. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, if, if we go, if we hop in a time machine and we go back 21 years Mm -hmm. and you're talking to younger Patrick Lawless, Mm -hmm. getting into the channel first time, what would your advice be to your younger self? Wow. Good question. Well, number one, don't ever give up. You know, we were starting a small business. I took money out of my retirement. It could have failed quite easily. So don't ever give up. That would be number one. Always try to do the right thing. It's very hard to do, man, because when you're a business owner, there's a lot of shortcuts you can take. But I don't think that that's a model for success, honestly. Um. You'll make mistakes, but give yourself grace because everyone makes mistakes, but mm. you've got to learn from them. Don't mm-hmm. let what happened in the past, you know, dictate or control what's going to happen in the future. And then lastly, enjoy the process, man. Enjoy the mm. moment mm. with your customers. Life is short. I'm 59 now. I was thinking, dude, I still feel like I'm 27. Oh, well, whatever. (laughs) So the point is, enjoy being in business. Enjoy the process with your customers. The good, bad, and the ugly is going to happen. But hey, man, you know, there's always, always like opportunity for for success. So I love it. Yeah, I love this industry. I'm happy to, to be in it for sure. Well said. Well... Thanks, it's been great. been great. Um, we yeah. have to do this again. I had a lot of fun and uh, it flew by. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's hop on another one of these in, uh, in, a, in a month or so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, as you and, can and, tell, I like to talk. Well, I enjoyed it. So, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. uh, yeah. And enjoy the weather out there. I know it's terrible all the time out there in Southern California. So, yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> all right. Care, Thanks, man. Patrick. That's a wrap on this episode of the Channel Champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.